0: It is great. It is great to sing with you this morning. I appreciate the musicians leading us in in worship. I appreciate Kyle mentioning the fact that our songs that we sing around here are biblical. They are singable, and they're congregational. And uh, I was reminded as we were singing together this morning, and again, joining my voice to yours, uh, because we sing congregationally, that's why we leave the lights on. We leave the lights on because we're doing this together as we worship God together. And uh, for kids to see mom and dad singing and for us to see one another singing is, is potent. And so glad, glad to be singing with you this morning. Well, this year as a church, together as a congregation, on Sunday mornings, uh, we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. We did that in the first 14 weeks of the year from New Year's to Resurrection Sunday. So we went through the Gospel of Mark together, 14 weeks in that book. Then following that, we went through uh, the book of Jude, spent seven weeks there. This summer, we've gone through the Old Testament books of Job and then more recently, the Song of Solomon. Spent four weeks in the Song of Solomon. I think some of you are ready for that book to be done. But it was a good study. This morning we think up on a brand new series, a brand new uh, study, a Bible study that we're going to go through. It's in the in the book of Second Corinthians. Uh, We have journaling Bibles available for you. They're down here on the stage, and uh, if you would benefit from one of those, if you would use one, uh, we invite you to come and take one. Uh, On one side of the page, there's the biblical text. On the other side is just a place for notes, and uh, we've gotten used to using them here as a church. And so we had several hundred of them available at the beginning of the first service. Uh, There's still quite a few left, and so if you'd like a journaling Bible, come and take one. Uh, we want you to have one, and we want you to use it. Uh, Several of you have commented you want to contribute toward that. If you uh, suggest a donation, if you put $5 in the offering box, that just helps us... uh, um pay for those. But uh, we'd, we'd rather you have one and use it as we, uh, as we go through the Bible study together. Not only is there the journaling Bible down front, but uh, there's also a reading schedule and a sermon series schedule put in a bookmark. And uh, these are available to you as well. We've separated them. The, uh, the Bible, journaling Bibles are down front. Uh, the bookmarks are in the um, preschool classroom. We want you to go look for those. That's not true. They're just back in the Welcome Center, but we do have them separated out, and uh, this will be useful for you as well as we, uh, as we go through this study. Uh, we look forward to walking through this Bible study together, and we, we look forward to it with a degree of enthusiasm because we anticipate learning good things from God's Word, and we anticipate that our thinking and even our lives will be changed as a result of God's Word at work in us. That's what we're anticipating as we get started. We uh, We are confident. We are confident that God uses his word in the lives of his people to continue his work in them of sanctifying them and conforming them into the image of Jesus Christ. And uh, so we, we are looking forward to growing together. As we dive into this new study, uh, there's this enthusiastic anticipation of what will I learn and how will my life be changed as a result of God using his word in my life. And not just my life personally, but our life corporately of learning Christ together. Uh, I, I don't grow in isolation. I grow and I mature with you. And I look forward to what God has for us as we learn Christ together in this new study. As we go through the book of 2 Corinthians, for some of you, your growth will be exponential. You just got a lot to learn and a lot to add to your life. For others, going through the book of 2 Corinthians will be more of a slow and steady progress. But growing in grace... And growing in truth is necessary for every one of us because no one here has yet arrived. Our sanctification is not yet complete because Christ has not yet returned. And so we're gonna go through this book together and we're gonna look forward to growing together as a congregation. Uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, maybe you've even been here for the last year as we've gone through uh, Mark and then uh, Jude and Job and Song of Solomon, uh, you, as you grab the little reading schedule and the preaching schedule, you're gonna understand that we're gonna go through this a little bit slower, Our pace is uh, slowing down a little bit. Uh, We're going to spend over 20 weeks in this little 44-page journaling Bible. Uh, So settle in and uh, plan to be here for a little bit. Uh, If we need to kick up the pace as we go through the series, we have the freedom to do that. But the anticipation at the start is we're going to slow down a little bit and uh, learn what we can from the various topics that are presented in this letter, uh, of which there are many. Uh, The slower pace going through this book has uh, come as a result of some of your feedback. Uh, some of you have really desired that we uh, slow down as we go through these Bible studies and, uh, and dive in a little bit deeper. And so we're gonna do that. And as soon as I say that, I recognize there are some people who are gonna be like, you're going way too slow. And then there's other people like, you're going still way too fast. Leadership is just disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. And uh, <laughs> so we'll do our best to get the cadence right, but uh, we're gonna be here for a little while. Well, I, if, if you haven't already grabbed a journaling Bible, uh, take out your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to kick off the series this morning just by looking at the first two verses. So we're barely going to get started, uh, share some information with you I think will be helpful as we get this uh, study going. Uh, but let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll read just the opening verses uh, this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize as we come to you in prayer that your word is powerful, it is living, it is active, it is sharp. It teaches us, it equips us, it is powerful, it changes us. And so as we have been talking here, even as we begin this brand new series going through this book, uh, we pray that, and we're confident, that you will take your word and use it in our lives to renew our thoughts and to change our behaviors. We, as your people, desire to be growing in grace and faith and knowledge and obedience. We want to mature. We want to grow up in Christ. We want to live into the identity that you've given us. So we pray that you'd use this study and our time together in it as a church uh, to that end, ultimately so that you might be glorified in our lives and that we might know the joy of uh, living by faith and believing your promises and uh, maturing as your children. So uh, be with us even as we begin the series this morning. Uh, give us uh, an ability to sustain our concentration on your word and its truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just verses 1 and 2. It's, a, it's an introduction. It's a greeting. I'd ask you to follow along. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to find a letter that was written by Abraham Lincoln, if we were to find that letter and then to read that letter it was written by Abraham Lincoln, it was written to his wife, it was written in the summer of 1863, uh, the better we knew Abraham Lincoln and the better we know his wife and the better we understood the context and the time in which they were living, the better we would understand the letter that was written between them. The same is true here. Uh, The better we know the Apostle Paul, the better we know Timothy and the Corinthian church, the better we would understand this letter that was written between them. Uh, The primary source of what we know about Paul and Timothy and the Corinthians would be the Bible, but there are many outside non-biblical sources that we learn from as it relates to the culture and the time and the history of these people and this letter. Now this morning, I'm not going to do an hour-long lecture or a deep dive and give you a biography on Paul and Timothy and the Corinthian church, but I do want to share with you some important matters as it relates to this letter and to understanding this letter. And as we go through the letter together, more more things about Paul and Timothy and the Corinthian church will be unveiled. But let me me give you some things that will really uh, set the stage and get your mind thinking in the right direction as we get started here. In the letter... Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In relationship to the Corinthian church, Paul was their founding pastor. He's the one who brought the message of the gospel to them. They didn't have the message of Jesus before he got there. So we would say he's their founding pastor. He was also a pioneer missionary. In the city of Corinth, there would have been numerous temples, and within those temples, idols to the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. And in the city of Corinth, there had been a synagogue, a place where the Jews gathered to remember their identity as Old Covenant people. But the message of Jesus was unknown to them before Paul arrived. On Paul's second missionary journey, along with Titus and and, uh, with Timothy and Silas, uh, Paul would have taken the message of Jesus Christ to Corinth. It's recorded in Acts chapter 18, which I would encourage you to read. Read that this afternoon. In Corinth, Paul would have proclaimed that Jesus was the promised deliverer, the one who had been promised throughout history and recorded through the pages of the Old Testament. According to Paul, Jesus was the one promised by God in the Garden of Eden. Jesus was the one who was coming into the world through the family tree of Abraham. Jesus was the one who would be a descendant of King David. Jesus was the one who was promised who would come and crush Satan's head and rescue the world from its consequence to sin and reconcile humanity back into a relationship with God himself. Jesus was the one through whom the whole world would be blessed. Not just the Jews, but the whole world. Jesus came through the Jews, but was the savior of the world. Initially, Paul would have proclaimed that Jesus was this promised Messiah that the world was waiting for, and he would have proclaimed that in the Jewish synagogue because that was Paul's habit. Whenever he went from city to city, he would begin by going to the Jews, and if there was a synagogue there, a place where the Jews gathered to remember their identity as Old Covenant people, he would begin there. And uh, he went to the synagogue in Corinth, and the Jewish community largely rejected his message. Again, you've got to remember, Paul would have been proclaiming the glory of the New Covenant to an Old Covenant community. Jesus being the fulfillment of the old covenant and the inauguration of the new, and so we know immediately not everyone there is going to believe him. But Paul goes to the Jewish synagogue, and he proclaims Christ there. And some believe, and some don't. But when the Jewish community largely rejected him, this is fascinating, he goes right next door Right next door to the synagogue, and he plants the church there in the home of Titus Justus, a believer in Jesus Christ and a worshiper of God. Some of the believing Jews joined that group, including Crispus, who is the synagogue leader. That had to have been quite a shock for that community. The leader of the synagogue draws the line, understands that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is the promised Savior. He places his faith in Jesus Christ, and he joins the church, which is meeting right next door to the synagogue. Crispus will have been one of those leading Jews in that community. So here's this infant church that gets started in Corinth. It's a mixed group. It's small, less than 100 people, In a town or a city of over or near 100,000 people, and it's made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus Christ. Now, this is fascinating because in the city of Corinth, these Christians, this new assembly would have been a very unique group. They didn't have a temple they worked at, worshipped at. They didn't have a temple. They didn't have an idol that they bowed down to. And all over the city of Corinth, there would have been temples and idols to this pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. But this, this group, they have no temple, and they have no idol. And, and they were simply a group of people known as Christians who were believers in this man whom they called Jesus, who they said died and rose again and was humanity's savior. And because this group had no temple and no idol, and their ultimate leader was resurrected, ascended, and not present... This community was like no other community in that town. For some, they would have thought this group were atheists. They don't have an idol. They don't have a temple. We can't see their God. We don't even know what they believe. So for some, this is just a unique group. They would have thought, man, these these people are weird. For some, that would have caused them to lean in and learn more about Jesus Christ. For others, it would have resulted in an attitude of persecution toward these strange outsiders. So this is how the church gets started. Unlike other areas where Paul traveled, and if you can kind of think through that second missionary journey and put that map in your head, Paul went to, he went to, um, I got him written down, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, before he gets to Corinth. And in those places, often he was there just a short period of time, and he would leave a member of his missionary team there to continue establishing the church as Paul moved on. But unlike that, here in Corinth, Paul stayed for an extended period of time much longer than usual. So he planted the church and he got the church established and he was there for a long time. But when the time came for Paul to leave, their founding pastor, the pioneer missionary who brought the gospel to them, when it came time for him to leave, to go back to those other areas and strengthen the churches that were planted there and even move the gospel out into new areas, some outside leaders came in following Paul And they came into the church and they sought to undermine Paul's credibility and Paul's authority. This would have been a huge problem. Not for Paul. (laughs) He's not gonna have an ego problem over this. This would have been a huge problem for the church. Because if Paul could be called into question, if his credibility undermined, if his unique authority discredited, then the message that came to that church from Paul, that message of Jesus Christ, that too could be called into question, and that would be disastrous for the faith and the future of that church in Corinth. So Paul, introducing himself in his second letter to them, he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and this is intentional. Paul was sent by Jesus Paul was sent with the authority of Jesus, and the grace of God as an apostle was evident in his life. Paul didn't choose for himself his own life vocation. Uh, Paul didn't self-appoint himself as an apostle. He wasn't his own authority. His authority and his message was given to him by God at the time of his unique conversion experience in Damascus, which you can read about in Acts chapter 8, so Acts chapter 9. So Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 18 are a couple of chapters you might want to read this afternoon as it relates to Paul and the Corinthians. But God had chosen Paul to be an apostle. And Paul was sent by Jesus Christ to be a missionary to the Gentile world. Paul didn't come to Corinth by self-appointment. And in his letter, here at the beginning and as we go through the letter, we're going to find Paul defending himself, which seems kind of strange to us. And it was strange for Paul to do it. He had a hard time doing it. But his self-defense is really a defense of the message that he received from God concerning Jesus Christ and and a message they had heard from him. So so Paul's self-defense, beginning right here at the beginning, calling himself an, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and found throughout the letter was Paul defending the truthfulness of the message he delivered. And he reminds them here at the start who sent him. Jesus sent him. He wasn't sent by another authority. He wasn't sent by another group. He wasn't sent by another church. Jesus sent him to Corinth, and he was there under the authority of God. God had chosen him to be an apostle. As we read through this letter, again, these are just thoughts that will frame your thinking as we begin the study, but as we read through this letter, we come to understand that Paul's colossal concern for the church a church that he dearly loved, a church that he planted and got started, Paul's colossal concern for this church was their pure and undivided devotion to Jesus Christ. And so as we read through this, and there's points in in the letter that Paul's defending himself, and it sounds kind of strange, what he's really getting at is, hey, remember who I am when I came to you and delivered to you the message of of Jesus Christ, because what I really want you to believe And what I really want you to understand is the message that came from God concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you received as your savior, whom you identified with in that way. So we're gonna find Paul defending himself, uh, but he's really defending the message. Back in this introduction, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. This isn't a lower designation, but it is a different designation. Timothy wasn't an apostle. He was a brother in the Lord. Uh, we know through reading through the uh, the, uh, the book of Acts, and we wrote, know through reading through these letters that uh, he was a member of Paul's missionary team. But he wasn't an apostle. He was sent out by Paul numerous times to numerous places to act on Paul's behalf. But he wasn't an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know he wasn't an apostle? Because he didn't see Jesus personally like the other apostles did. And he wasn't uniquely sent out by Jesus as the other apostles were. And the marks of an apostolic ministry, namely signs, wonders, and mighty works, didn't mark his ministry like it did the other apostles. Uh, The church in Corinth, they would have known Timothy well. Timothy was there when the church got started and took root uh, Timothy had been sent there numerous times after uh, Paul and Timothy had left. He was sent back there numerous times during their infant years. Timothy would have been held in high regard by the Corinthians, but he wasn't an apostle like Paul was. Just like the Corinthians, he was a co-laborer in the work of the ministry. You know, as you read through the pages of the New Testament, you're going to see a shift in authority, a shift from the apostolic authority to the words that they wrote, because the church is built on the message of the apostles and the prophets. And so you're going to see this unique shift from the apostles to the word of God. And Timothy would have been under that authority, just as the Corinthians would have been under that authority. So again, here in the beginning, we're looking at the very beginning of this letter, Paul calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He calls Timothy our brother. He greets the church and he calls them what? to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. So he calls himself an apostle, he calls Timothy a brother, he calls the church saints, he prays that grace and peace, divine favor, and holistic shalom would be theirs in abundance from Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, as we read First and Second Corinthians, we come to understand that the Corinthian church was plagued with moral problems. Significant moral problems. <laughs> and conflict, and discord. They didn't seem to be very saintly. But here he calls them saints. Their sanctification, their becoming saints, was in reference to the fact that they belonged to God. It was not a reference to their behavior. Being a saint was their new designation. It was their new identity in Christ. And living up to that trajectory, living up to that calling was to be their trajectory as they learned from Paul and from God's word written down how they were to live as God's holy and called out people as they awaited the return of Jesus Christ. So the church then and the church today, it isn't just a a civil assembly of like-minded people who have religious thoughts. The church is a community that belongs to God and it is made up of saints, people who belong to him. In this short introduction, we're introduced here to the identity of the co-authors, Paul and Timothy, and we're introduced to the recipients of the the church at Corinth, and they are called out as saints, even though their behavior wasn't all that saintly. Well, let's circle into our present day. We've kind of covered this greeting. Um, Let's let's make some lines into our own life. In our present day, in our present time, the world in which we live in is obsessed with self-identification. In our present culture, you and I no longer get to identify people. They get to identify themselves. And woe to you and me if we get the identification wrong. Today, we're being coached and we're being asked, you know, how I'm coached to ask, how do you identify yourself? What pronouns do you use? What are your self-identification preferences? This isn't freedom as it's being rolled out. As the ultimate freedom, people get to decide for themselves their own identity. This isn't freedom. This is bondage to personal feelings, which are ever-changing. This comes from a mental health crisis and leads to a deepening mental health crisis because feelings change constantly, and they're building an identity on no foundation. Paul begins his letter. He calls himself an apostle an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He didn't choose that identity. He didn't even get to choose his vocation for Paul. Paul calls himself an apostle. He calls Timothy, our brother. He calls the church saints. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ today, as people who are committed to him, people who have pledged their faith in him, who have identified with him, we we don't have the right to self-identify because we have been bought with a price, and we no longer belong to ourselves, and we've been given new identities. At one time, we were all really bad people, heading in the wrong direction when we were self-directed and self-identifying, but when we turned from ourselves and turned to Jesus Christ and placed our faith in him, gladly submitting ourselves to his authority, God has taken us up as his very own, and we now belong to him. We have been purchased, we have been redeemed, and our identity has been given to us by an authority that is above us, namely God Himself. This is huge. This is really big. We don't get to decide our own identity. We get to live within the freedom of the identity that God has given us, but we don't get to determine our identity that has been chosen for us by God Himself. It's a remarkable blessing, it's a huge blessing have to sit around and figure out who I am based on how I feel about myself, based on how I want to project myself to other people, based on the little life that I want to carve out for myself. I, I, I can now live into the identity that has been graciously given to me in Christ, and I can know that my new identity is going with me into eternity. Won't be changed. It's big. So what's our identity? Well, throughout the pages of the New Testament, it's referenced in a number of different ways. We are children of the Heavenly Father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But here in this letter and in many others, like the Corinthians, we are saints. As saints, we aren't super spiritual people who have experienced some miraculous encounter as the Roman Catholic Church would have us understand saints. In order to be a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, you have to have some visitation from an angel or some miraculous encounter or some miraculous thing that's happened in your life or through your life, and then you get designated as a saint and people can pray to you. And that's, that's generally how we understand saints because of that influence. As saints, we're not super spiritual people. As saints, we are simply people who have been set apart to belong to God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, I have been set apart. Set apart from myself, set apart unto God. As a saint, I belong to God. I belong to Jesus. I belong to you. We belong to one another as saints, people who belong to God. Now, you've heard me say this a thousand times, and I'll I'll say it continually. I'm not a sinner who's been saved by grace. I once was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I now am a saint. That's something completely new. I'm not who I was before. Now I'm a saint who sometimes sins quite regularly. Matter of fact, I can be very disappointed with the slowness of my progress. And and my position in Christ and my identity outpaces my performance. (laughs) I'm learning and growing in Christ with you. But I, I have a whole new identity. I'm not a sinner who's been saved by grace. I once was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I have a whole new identity. I'm now a saint. A saint who is learning to put off the old nature. A saint who is learning to put off sin that I still struggle with. A saint who is putting off that old way of life and putting on the new way of life as I learn to live out the identity that I've now been given in Christ. I've been graced with this new identity. I didn't achieve it. I didn't earn it. It was given to me. When I repented of my sin... And Christ bore my sins away on the cross, and Christ's righteousness has clothed me. That's by grace. God's Word, the big story of God's revelation, is now what's being used to renew my thinking and to inform my new life. According to the Scripture, God set apart people, His saints, are being made beautiful as they learn to live into the identity that God has graced them with. So Paul introduces these people. He introduces himself as an apostle, Timothy, our brother, and the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints. Man, we read the letter and we're like, there, man, they're not very saintly. They're just immature believers who have a lot to learn, a lot to grow into, a lot to put off and a lot to put on. As we read through the pages of the New Testament, we learn that as saints, we are being made beautiful, being made beautiful by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the love of God, and by the fellowship of the Spirit. God is working in us as we work out our salvation, living by faith in God's promises and living in the light of the truth that he has given us. So here's the simple introduction from this little little opening. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the simple introduction. By the grace of God, we are free from the tyranny of self-determination, And we are free to live into the freedom of belonging to God and being God's children and being set apart unto him. And by God's spirit, we're able to grow into what we've already become as we learn to take God at his word. By faith in God's truth, we get to live up to what we've already obtained. That's big. By faith in God's word, I get to live up to what I've already obtained. I'm called a saint. I'm growing into that. And by God's grace, he will complete the work that he began in me. And here's good news, he's more committed to that than I am. Just like feelings, my faith fluctuates, goes up and down in good seasons and hard seasons. God is committed to completing the work that he began in us. We're so grateful to that. The relationship that I have with God isn't jeopardized by my performance That's a relief. The relationship I have with God is based on Christ's performance. And my progress is motivated and empowered by his love for me and his grace given to me in Jesus Christ. That's tremendous freedom and grace and glory. We're thankful for it. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this little book that we've just kicked off this morning. We've got a lot to learn. There's a lot in here that you have intended for our purposes, for our growth in knowledge and grace. Father, we want, oh, we confess, we are often just disappointed with the slowness of our progress. As we learn to put off sin and put, off, put on Christ, we're grateful that you're completing the work. And I pray that, again, that you would use this little book. We've got a lot of, a lot of topics to tackle, a lot of things that come up in this short little letter. And, and I pray that as we go through it together, we would be growing as individuals, growing as a community. Uh, as, we, as we belong to you, may we be living that out and learning to live that out in our community with one another. Grow us in our love for you, our love for your word, and the practical exercise of our love of one another. Bless now our continued fellowship with one another, even as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.